Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Waiting for Jesus. It's the season that we're in, but thankfully, it's just really a remembrance because we know he's already arrived and what a great blessing the morning has been from rocking, you know, rocking the baby and the heavenly lights to uh, just that powerful song right there, all about our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we're here in his house to just bask in his uh, presence and his glory. We have been talking for the past number of weeks about the house, Jesus' house. One of the images presented in scripture, and we've been through uh, the reading in the book of Hebrews about the house. We're going to be looking at Peter's first letter this morning, and we're approaching the end of the year where we're going to completely have read through the Bible together as a church. And if you've been following along, that's great. And if you haven't, you can always just start, pick up uh, our bulletin. The plan is on the back, and you can get the whole plan online and uh, begin in 2019 then and just read on through. So many have been blessed by reading through the Word of God together, and we've been this week in Peter's first letter. We'll touch on that, talking about, again, the eternal house and the eternal house of Jesus that we've already covered. It offers rest. It is open to all who believe on Jesus Christ. And it's all because of Christmas. It is all because of this divine plan of God, which is one I don't think any of us can conceive that he would take part in his creation. He would become like the people that he created out of the dust of the ground. And he wouldn't take any special privilege. He didn't arrive uh, as an adult already and some kind of you know king with all kinds of Uh, luxuries. No, he came into the world the same way we did, perhaps uh, a lot differently than some of us because it was a lowly surroundings where Jesus was born. He was born into a very humble family, and yet he opened up an eternal house for all of us. And this morning, as we continue with this image of the house, we're going to be talking about being part of it building up the house uh, as the image will portray a stone in the house. I, I begin first from Psalm 118. And this is a little bit of a, a background for Peter's letter. Psalm 118, I want to read to you two verses. It's one line and it goes like this. This is verses 22 and 23 from Psalm Uh, 118. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Now, this line from the Old Testament is one of the most often quoted lines in the New Testament. You might not think that just from what the line is. What does it even have to do with a house? Well, there's a reference to builders, and builders build a house, and there's a reference to a cornerstone, 
and a cornerstone relates to foundation. The cornerstone is critical in the construction. And when you don't have modern day tools and such, the cornerstone would set length, width, and height, all the lines of a building. So that, they had to be true lines. The cornerstone had to be right. Now, what does it mean then that the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Why would it be even worth quoting that? What does it mean? And followed on, the Lord has done this. It's marvelous in our eyes. Well, what did it mean really to the ancient Jews who had Psalm 118, even the ones who wrote the line? Why would they write such a line? What did it mean? Was it referring to a fact, an actual historic event? And we should just read it literally? Well, we can't point to an actual historical event, but Jewish rabbinical tradition holds that there might have been a historic event that inspired this line of scripture. And I found this written on the topic, and it says this. In ancient times, they would regard the cornerstone as a holy stone in a temple and think it confers sanctity upon the whole edifice. It is therefore the more probable that God was consulted as to which stone he would direct to be taken for the cornerstone. Now, when the foundation of the second temple was laid, remember there was a first temple, Solomon built it. It eventually was destroyed by the Babylonians. The Jewish people from Jerusalem and Judah, they spent 70 years in captivity in Babylon, but then they came back to rebuild the temple. And it said that when the foundation for the second temple was laid, there were certain stones that were selected some were cast aside. They weren't worthy to be the cornerstone. They were rejected as candidates. But the priests were there. And there were over 4,000 priests. Read the book of Ezra. We recently covered it. 4,000 priests came back to help and to take part and uh, to assist in the construction. And it is said that these priests were consulted to seek God for the selection of the cornerstone. So out of the rubbish from the rejected stones, one was identified and it was exactly fitted for the honorable position, the cornerstone of the temple foundation. Now, whether there was an actual incident, it's not recorded in the Bible, but whether there was or there was not a real historical facts, fact, the Jews understood it to be so. This is how they took this line of scripture. They understood that God had a hand in picking the, the actual stone, the cornerstone for their temple. And we realize this as we move four or five hundred years into the future from when that second temple foundation was laid to a moment where Jesus Christ was standing in that very temple. And I want to relate to you a parable that Jesus gave while he's standing in this temple. 
Now, you can find this parable in Mark chapter 12 and Luke chapter 20 and Matthew 21. All three of those gospels relate this parable that Jesus brought. I want to just paraphrase it to you this morning. Jesus was in the temple. The chief priests and the Pharisees were questioning them, and he said, hey, let me tell you this parable. There was a landowner who had a vineyard, and he leased out this vineyard to tenants so that they could grow a harvest uh, of grapes. Now, when harvest time approached, the owner of the land sent his servants to collect his share of the crop. Well, the tenants saw them, and they seized them, and they beat one of these servants, and they killed another, and they stoned a third. Well, the landowner heard about this, so he sent more servants. And the tenants of the vineyard treated him the same way, beat him and killed him. Last of all, the owner of the vineyard sent his son. He said, my son, they will respect. Well, the tenants of the vineyard saw the son, and they said, here comes the heir. Let's kill him. Then we can take all of this as our inheritance. Steal it from him. So the son arrived, came into the vineyard. They dragged him out, and they killed him. Now, Jesus had a question for these chief priests and these Pharisees and elders or the Jews that were there. He said, now what is the landowner going to do? And they answered him, and they said, He's going to go to those wretches and bring them to a wretched end. Then he's going to lease this vineyard to someone who will take care of it and give him his share of the crop. Jesus responded to them, and he said this. Haven't you read this passage of Scripture? Now, what do you think he's going to quote? I mean, Jesus has the entire Old Testament to pull from. He says, haven't you read this scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It's an interesting line to quote after such a parable. But the reason that he brings this up is because they understood it. They knew precisely what Jesus meant. They knew it. He was calling out these leaders. He was pointing to them, and he was identifying them as the tenants of the vineyard. They were the ones who rejected the son. How is that? Because Jesus identified them as the builders, the builders who rejected the cornerstone, the cornerstone that was selected by God. There's the son. There's the connection to the son, the cornerstone selected by God. The builders were the tenants of the vineyard. And the chief priests and the Pharisees and the elders, they understood this, and immediately, immediately, they were angry. And they sought a way to arrest Jesus. He didn't have to explain it. He didn't have to 
go through any kind of, hey, this is what this means. They didn't ask questions. What do you mean by that? Who's who? And that often happened after Jesus gave a parable, but not this time because it was clear. The stone the builders rejected. You builders rejected the stone. And by the way, Jesus was identifying himself as the son chosen by God. They didn't like that. I believe there was someone standing there. His name was Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest companions. I believe Peter was standing, uh, standing nearby, taking this all in. Peter learned much from his travels with Jesus, from his relationship with Jesus. He learned from the way that Jesus was treated and persecuted, and he used this. I believe it influenced his writing in his first letter that he wrote to people who were suffering for their faith. Peter says in his first letter, uh, you're suffering. He describes these people as exiles, those who received his letter, foreigners, strangers scattered in the world. They were scattered in the world because of their faith in Christ. And Peter wrote to encourage them. He wrote these words. I have written to encourage you and testify that your faith in Jesus, it's true grace. Stand fast in it. Now, if you've been here over the course of the last few weeks, you've heard that before in the letter to the Hebrews. Stand fast in your faith. Hold on to your faith. Peter's writing a similar theme. Your faith in Christ might bring you some hardship. Stay with him. It's worth it. It has an eternal end. Now, in his letter, Peter has this theme. In chapter 2, he wrote this encouragement. And I want to read to you uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10, and it's connected to Psalm 118. It's connected to this parable of Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. As you come to him, this is a reference to Jesus. We could read it this way. As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I want to stop right here just for a second. Verse 6 is a quote from Isaiah chapter 28, and it reiterates what the Jews believed. God chooses the cornerstone. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe... The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is great encouragement. Peter is writing to these people that have been scattered. They're considered exiles. They're suffering because of their faith. And Peter presents to them this image of a house and identified Jesus as the cornerstone. He used the same reference that Jesus did from Psalm 118. He used that same line, verses 22 and 23. Likely because many of those who would have been reading his letter for the very first time, the original recipients of Peter's letter, there were probably many who were Jewish, who had come to Christ. If you know the New Testament and the book of Acts, Peter was very instrumental in the start of the church. His first message he preached, 3,000 Jews came to Christ. That was the beginning of the church. 3,000 Jewish people coming to believe that Jesus Christ died for them. Later on, you get to Acts chapter 4, 2,000 more. Peter was familiar with so many who had come to Christ. He knew they understood the Old Testament and they would understand this line about the cornerstone. The cornerstone that God selected. God selected it. His house has a solid and true foundation. And what's that foundation? Jesus. Jesus, precious to God, chosen by God, but rejected, rejected by humans. See, Jesus, he's the cornerstone, and he's also been rejected. Jesus knows rejection. Jesus came unto his own, the word of God says, but his own did not receive him. How was Jesus rejected? Before he was born. Before he was even born, he was rejected. His mother, great with child, arrives in Bethlehem only to be told, we have no room. Now, Jesus wasn't even born yet. We have no room. Jesus was rejected. Soon after he was born, King Herod the Great learned baby Jesus was being hailed as king of the Jews. Now, this did not sit well with the current king who was called king of the Jews. And Herod was cruel and black-hearted. He ordered all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years and younger to be killed. It's what's known as the slaughter of the innocents. Jesus rejected before he could walk or talk. When Jesus came of age and he began his ministry, he once healed a man with a shriveled hand. Came upon this man and he said, stretch out your hand. Now anyone who had a shriveled hand, who had the Son of God before him, would respond. The man responded, stretched out his hand, and it was healed. Now you might think, People would want such a person around them. They would want a healer. They would be thrilled to have this 
healing power in their midst. But Jesus committed an offense to these people that were around the man with the shriveled arm. What was his offense? It was a Sabbath day. It was a holy day. Shouldn't be doing any work. And healing a guy, well, that's work. So what, what was the response? The leaders of the Jews? Because Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath day. They plotted together in two factions that didn't really get along very well. The Herodians and the Pharisees, they got together to plot against Jesus so that they could kill him. You know, when two parties that are often at odds come together and they unify, you've done something. and Jesus did something, but what was the result? They wanted to kill him. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was once in the temple. It was a Jewish feast day. It was called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And there he is in the temple and his authority is questioned. And he said to those who were questioning his authority, I know who sent me. I know him, but you don't. You don't know him. And by the way, I am from him. Now this infuriated the people. It infuriated them and they tried to seize Jesus. Jesus was rejected. One of his very own, one who he called friend, betrayed him for a bag of money. And Jesus was arrested he was tried, he was convicted, and he was hung on a cross by nails to bleed and die. I could tell you many other times he was rejected, but Jesus was rejected. Jesus knows all about rejection. He is the cornerstone rejected by humans. Peter wrote on about this. He said, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You're part of the house. You are like a living stone, holy, acceptable to God. You also, who believe in Jesus, you also, who have professed a faith in Jesus Christ, like the cornerstone rejected by humans, it follows Right after Peter wrote this, the stone that the builders rejected, then you also, like living stones. What do I see out of that? You also have likely known rejection. But Jesus receives the rejected. Jesus once met a woman at a well. She'd come alone. She'd come alone to this well, perhaps. She wanted to avoid her neighbors because her reputation wasn't that great in the neighborhood. She comes to the well all alone when nobody's there. But Jesus saw her, and Jesus engaged the woman in a conversation. You've had five husbands, he told her. And the man you're with right now isn't your husband. See, he didn't reject her because of her situation. He engaged her, he received her, and she went on 
to evangelize in her city for Jesus such that people came out and compelled Jesus to stay around. Jesus receives the rejected. He was once accused of being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. As a matter of fact, he was more than once accused of that. Tax collectors were despised by the Jews. They were despised because they were considered traitors. They were Jewish countrymen who were turncoats, who were traitors against their own country because they went to work for the Roman occupying power to collect taxes from their fellow Jews. So the tax collectors were a rejected group of people. But that didn't keep Jesus from one day seeing a tax collector named Levi. Levi, son of Alphaeus, as he was known. There at his tax collecting booth. And Jesus said to Levi, follow me. And Levi turned and came at once. And then he had a party. He had a party. And now who would be his friends? Well, he didn't have any other friends except for tax collectors because they were a rejected group of people. They had to keep among themselves. So Levi called up all his tax collecting friends. Hey, Jesus just asked me to follow him. Let's have a party. So they had a dinner party, and many tax collectors were there, and others that were identified as sinners. And what did those on the outside say? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because Jesus receives the rejected. Two blind men were sitting on the side of a road and Jesus comes walking by with a whole crowd of people. These two men begin to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on us. What does the crowd do? Quiet, be quiet, stop. They're rejected out of hand, stop, be quiet. Well, what do these two blind men do? But they yelled louder, that's what they did. They shouted all the louder. Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and he went over them and he actually touched them and he touched their eyes and he healed them. The rejected were received by Jesus. He is the chosen cornerstone of an eternal house. He came to earth as the Christ child on Christmas and he grew up to become acquainted with suffering and with rejection, and he knows all about rejection. And I could give you example after example after example where Jesus received the rejected. He's open to the rejected. Jesus is open to rejection, uh, to the rejected. Christianity is open to the rejected. And you might say, no, it isn't. No, Christianity is not open. Christianity is a closed door. Christianity is the definition of rejection. It's not open. I know it's not open, you might say, because I've been rejected by your Christianity. Let's let's talk about that. I believe Peter wrote a little about it. He went on. He wrote, Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected 
has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. Now, perhaps you believe Christianity has rejected you. Christ won't receive you. You've been rejected because of what you do. You've been rejected by Christianity because of how you live or who you work for or what you do at work or some other reason. And if you say Jesus and his church rejects me, he will never accept me. You're like the builder. You're like the builder who stumbles and falls over the rock. It's a rock that causes stumbling when you should be standing on the firm foundation. See, Jesus welcomed the woman who was on her sixth man and not even married to him. Jesus welcomed a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus received Levi, the tax collector, and he received the notorious tax collector, Zacchaeus, to whom he said, today salvation has come into your house. Jesus said to the confessed thief on a cross who was right next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. A woman of ill repute, an adulterer, a lying cheat tax collector, a thief. Jesus welcomed them all because they were willing, they were willing to turn to him with sincerity, with genuineness, with a contrite heart and a humble attitude. And they were willing to admit, my way wasn't the best way. My way was keeping me separated from, from God, my creator. Jesus received them and he allowed them to come to terms with their way of life and to see it for what it was. It was stumbling, it was falling, it was gonna be their end. And he allowed them to turn to him. You know, in a word, they found repentance. And it, it simply means to turn Change your direction. That's the straightforward message of Jesus Christ. It was his simple message from the time he started his ministry. Early in the Gospels, you can read, Jesus said this simple, simple message. Repent. God's kingdom is near. It's such a straightforward and simple message that I believe sometimes the simplicity of it all really gets in the way. It can't be. It's too easy. It's too good to be true. I'm not going to do that because there has to be a catch. And besides, I'm really happy with my life. I'm happy with the way things are. Really? Take a deep look inside. Get honest with yourself. Are you really and truly happy with your life? See, Jesus receives those who are sincere with a contrite heart, but instead, when you dig your heels in, 
when you stumble and you fall over his simple message of repentance and forgiveness of sins, that's not Jesus rejecting you. That's you rejecting Jesus. Peter wrote, they stumble and they fall because they disobey the message. And that disobedience leads to destruction. That disobedience destines destruction. Peter concluded his thought. They stumble because they disobeyed the message, which is also what they were destined for. To refuse the message, Peter wrote, is to disobey the message, the simple message. And that disobedience to the message, it has an end, it has a destiny, and that that destiny is, is destruction. It's stumbling. It's falling. Because you refuse to repent, it's rejecting Jesus. It's not Jesus rejecting you. It's not the church rejecting you. It's rejection of a simple message when it's an invitation. It's an invitation for you to come in. Come into his house and be part of it. Jesus welcomes the broken sinner. Oftentimes in our, our lives, They're a mess, and they're a mess because we have rejected him. And they're a mess because we've been rejected. Have you ever been rejected? Do you know rejection? Have you been rejected by by a parent who might have said, you're not going to amount to anything? Or or maybe it was a, a teacher, a teacher who said something similar or who was a harsh and a heavy critic who really kept you down. Or maybe it was a friend who walked away because of a petty difference, some offense. You don't even know what you did. Or maybe it was a group of people that just wouldn't let you in. They rejected you. Or maybe it was a relationship, a spouse who walked out the door on you. Painful, painful rejection. And it can bring on bitterness and despair and depression and and even worse. It's affected your life. And you do things because of it. You do things you know, you know they're not right. And you've hardened yourself. And you might even reject those who would offer you compassion, even Jesus. Why? Because they don't get it. They just don't get it. They don't understand. Jesus gets it. Jesus gets it. Let me tell you, he knows all about rejection. And he welcomes you. He welcomes you. And he offers you the grandest opportunity to repent and turn. You know, drop that bitterness. Drop that pain. And you turn to him. And drop the kicking back and the digging in and the stumbling and falling because it's leading to a bad place. And Jesus would rather you not disobey the message, but receive it and welcome it. And he invites you to be part of his house. He invites you to turn to him and become a living stone because he offers mercy and compassion and reconciliation with God. And what does he have for you? He has for you a royalty 
and he has for you a holiness to be God's special possession called out of darkness into his wonderful light, from darkness to light, from death to life, for eternity. And obeying that call leads to eternal life. Obedience is the entrance to eternity. And Peter once said this about the cornerstone, preaching to a group of these leaders of the Jews. He said, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected. Told them straight up, you. You builders rejected, but it's become the cornerstone. And he went on. The very next words he uttered were this. Salvation is found in none else, for there is no name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved by. See, because of Christmas, because God had this great divine plan and he came to earth as a man, we have a way to be saved for eternity, for eternal life. Jesus willingly accepted the rejection and the injustice of being falsely accused, condemned, hung to die. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he made a way for everyone, for all who would believe on him as the sacrifice for our sin. Salvation is found in none else but the cornerstone. We're going to close our service just singing about the cornerstone. And I want to make an appeal to you. Do you know rejection? Has it caused bitterness in your heart and your life? You've been rejected by someone, a group, a person. And it has, it has caused some strife and some pain. And you maybe even put up a wall. You don't want people. You don't even want Jesus. You can come and just drop that at the cross this morning. Come on down. Get on your knees. We'll have people to come. Hold your hands and pray with you and say, let's get rid of that. And call on the name of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior. And I'll say too, if you've never, ever turned to him, today's the day. There's no other name, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved but Jesus Christ, who came as a child. And you might think he doesn't get it. And there's no way I can turn to him. Well, I'll tell you what. He gets it. He gets it way more than you know. And if you would just yield instead of stumbling and falling and kicking against that stone, receive it. Your life, your life will be different forever, for eternity. So I invite you, you can come here to these altars to kneel, to pray, to talk to God. And we'll have some workers who come to to pray with you as we sing about the corners. Thank you, Father, for the presence of your Holy Spirit among us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the cornerstone. Thank you that our God knows rejection and he understands our pain and he understands our bitterness and he understands our loss. Thank you that you sent your son to this earth and he can sympathize with our weaknesses 
and he has compassion on us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for the mercy that you saw fit in your grand plan. God, there's no other, there's no other plan that we could have even conceived, and we're just blessed by Jesus, and we thank you and we praise you. And we ask, Lord, for any in here, Lord, any who may be at their seats who have been embittered, they have suffered rejection, and they felt it. God, we pray that you would minister unto them. We pray that their hearts would be open to see Jesus knows. He gets it. Lord, we pray that they just open to allow you in. God, and any who may have never, ever, ever turned to you, God, we just pray for softness of heart, sincerity to see you're true and you're needed. God, that they would come from darkness to everlasting eternal light. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Bless your people. Bless them, Lord, as they go. Keep your hand upon them, Lord, that you would watch their going out, their coming in. You would preserve them, preserve their life, Lord, from this time forth, as your word says, even forevermore. And we ask these things in the mighty and precious name of our cornerstone, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.